0: Well, good morning. I trust that uh, you have now had at least a week of uh, making your requests known to God and prayer and that perhaps some of you are beginning to experience results as God resolves your requests. Uh, Remember that we ask God for what we really want in regard to things that really matter to us. We listen to God's response, adjust our requests accordingly, because the idea is that we would Come to be people who can actually pray for what is best for all concerned, which includes us and God and, and everyone else involved. And then we watch. We watch and see what happens and stay with it until God resolves our request. Uh, if you have begun, and I don't mean to suggest that uh, you were not already a praying person when you got here uh, last week before I opened my mouth. Uh, But if you have begun, the only thing that remains is to continue. Remember, the idea is that we actually pray. If you have not yet begun, uh, today is another perfect opportunity to get started. And as the saying goes, if not now, when? About 20 years ago, a court reporter friend of mine asked me to uh, help his brother out. It seemed that... uh, he had gone through an unexpected, unwanted, and emotionally devastating divorce, and just when the fog of despair was lifting, uh, he got sued for $900,000 on some guarantees that he had signed in a real estate deal uh, that he thought he had gotten out of. It turned out I knew the guy because he was a member of Tallywood and had actually chaired a committee that I had served on some time in the past. I'll just call him Bill. Uh, Bill and I had uh, a wonderful time as uh, God resolved all that for him, many, many experiences of God's grace. Uh, uh, for example, when we met with the mortgage company the first time and uh, explained the situation, the representative of the mortgage company actually said that they wanted to work with Bill and that they wanted to show mercy. You ever heard of a merciful mortgage company? Uh, so it sounds like an oxymoron, but see that's that 's god 's word to us through uh, people that may not even know uh, what they 're saying. Uh, it took several months, but in time, uh, it was conceded all around that bill shouldn 't uh, have any liability, and an agreement was put in place uh, to that effect uh, if i 'm remembering correctly, there were some other people that were coming in to take the project over and Uh, So the release was all part of that transaction, and therefore there was a deadline of the closing, you know, for the refinancing and the new investors coming in. Uh, And so after many months, all I had to do was get in touch with the mortgage company's outside lawyer and with the divorce lawyer for Bill's ex-wife. And for two weeks, I called and I called and I called. And I left message after message after message after message. You know, there was no voicemail in those days. This was quite a long time ago. Uh, No response. Uh, So with time running out one evening, I was sitting in my law office and about 6.30 and had this great idea, I thought. So I picked up the phone. I called the divorce lawyer's office. And when I got the usual, she's on the other line, I told the person who had answered, well, I'll just stay on the line. I'll just hold until she uh, speaks to me. Well, in a minute or two, the divorce uh, lawyer got on the phone and blasted me for tying up her other line and hung up. So, uh, you know, meantime, in the meantime, from the, from the mortgage company lawyers, you know, still no response. So the next morning, I got on the phone with Bill to kind of report to him where we stood, which was basically nowhere. Uh, And as we talked, I just realized that my approach in all this had just been completely wrong because I was trying to make these people talk to me. And I had learned in this process before we got to this particular day uh, from Bill that it was really okay to pray together on the phone. Do you know that? It's it's all right. Uh, And so as we prayed, I asked God to forgive me for my wrong approach, and ask him to help me get through to these two lawyers that I really needed to speak to. And I hung up the phone. And literally, before I could take my hand off the receiver, the phone rang. And it was my secretary saying the divorce lawyers on the other line would like to speak to you. She could not have been nicer. And while I was talking to her, my secretary walked in with a with a note that said, the mortgage company lawyer is holding for you on the other line. Uh, and so, you know, the, the releases were obtained and all got signed up. Everything was resolved. Bill, uh, you know, went on his way. Uh, uh, you know, pretty, that was a pretty dramatic answer to prayer. Uh, uh, answers don't always uh, come to me like that. And in fact, usually, uh, usually for me, uh, it's with hindsight that I look back and I say, you know, God really did answer. My prayer. Uh, But, uh, you know, sometimes I I told Kent McMahon about what had happened at the time that it happened. And uh, he he said, and this has stuck with me over all these years, sometimes God does things like that so that we will know that he's really there. And so some of you may be having uh, some experiences like that. I don't know. I hope so. You know, the idea is that we would come to know by experience the reality of God. You know, are these things coincidences? No, they're not. You know, if you start thinking like that, you'll stop having coincidences. Mainly because you'll just stop asking. You know, the role of faith in prayer is primarily that it is our confidence in God, however great, small, or in between, that prompts us to pray, that prompts us to ask. Uh, Without faith, it is impossible to please God Uh, Not so much because, you know, God counts it as a special privilege that we happen to trust in him, but rather that it is our confidence in God uh, that causes us to ask, and because uh, what pleases God really cannot be done in the energy of our own strength. So without faith, it is impossible to please God because what God, what pleases God, uh, we really need to do with him in his power. Uh, and you know, the other point about the story is simply to make the point that, uh, the kingdom of God is everywhere, not just at church. And so we pray about everything. God is moving in every aspect of our lives, of all of human life. And, uh, the idea is that we would find out what that is and get in on it. Uh, now today, uh, we're going to move to the opposite end of the prayer continuum uh, and we're going to talk about prayer as listening. Uh, we want to come to know by experience God as the living one who hears and speaks to me. Uh, you know, uh, I realize that in this we probably move into a territory that may be unfamiliar uh, to some of you. Uh, if you're like me, uh, and most people I know... Uh, the idea of cultivating a listening stillness before God may sound uh, old-fashioned, you know, like medieval or uh, like a fringe activity for fanatics or like an impractical waste of time. But I want to assure you uh, as we begin this discussion that cultivating a listening stillness before God in which we move throughout all of life is at the heart of the life with God through Jesus that we are offered. And it really is the most practical thing we can do. So let me try to tell you why I say that. First of all, uh, the scripture invites us, indeed almost compels us, to be still and to listen. Be still and know that I am God, that's Psalm 4610. Listen to my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people, Jeremiah 723. Solomon's prayer as he succeeded his father, David, uh, as the king of Israel, give me, give your servant a listening heart so as to be able to discern 1 Kings three, nine, Psalm 37, seven and eight, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him and do not Fret. Zechariah 2.13, Be silent, all people, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. As we read the Gospels, uh, we see that Jesus spent a lot of time alone. And he moved through life in a posture of listening stillness before the Father and was able to say, I say nothing except what I hear the Father saying. That's John 8.28. I do nothing except what I see the Father doing. John 5 19. At the transfiguration of Jesus, God spoke from heaven, you know, right out of thin air. Of Jesus saying, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And then in uh, Revelation 3.20, we read the words of Jesus. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and fellowship with you and you with me. Now, that text is often used uh, in an effort to convert the lost. But if you go back and read that, you'll see that Jesus is speaking to believers uh, who were way, way off course as it happened. So scripture invites us uh, to uh, listen, to be still and to listen. And I think it will also help us if we think a little bit about, uh, help us make sense out of listening prayer, if we think a little bit about what is this kingdom life, this Christian spiritual life uh, that we are invited into. Uh, And I want to go to one of our texts for today, uh, John 17, 3. This is the one place in all the Bible where the term eternal life is defined. John seventeen three. Jesus is uh, praying. This is his great high priestly prayer. And in uh, verse three of chapter seventeen he prays, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that we may know the Father and know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Now, that's the biblical no word. It refers to intimate, interactive relationship. Uh, It refers to a relationship with God of communication. That's two-way communication. I speak to God, God speaks to me. Communion. Uh, We are present to the one who is always present. And union, that is, we join God in what he is doing where we are, acting in his character and in his power. That's what it means to seek the kingdom. Uh, We join God in what he's doing where we are uh, and cooperate with him as he overcomes uh, evil with good. See, eternal life is not merely long. It is participating in the very life of God. Uh, Listen to, these are some of my influences, listen to the words of uh, three different people who have uh, commented on the spiritual life. First, Evelyn Underhill, a very remarkable uh, British woman who in the early part of the 20th century at a time when this just was unthinkable, was invited to teach Anglican uh, priests about the spiritual life. She says, A spiritual life, a Christian spiritual life, is a life lived in conscious correspondence with the present reality of God and his kingdom among us. A spiritual life is simply a life in which all we do comes from the center where we are anchored in God. Eugene Peterson. It is... God alive and active and present. Life that is God-derived, God-sustained, and God-blessed. It is a life lived in the fear of the Lord. uh, That is, in reverence before God and in attentiveness to who God is and what God is doing and how, that is, by what means God is doing what he's doing. Uh, Or as Dallas Willard puts it, uh, however it may seem, When we come to Christ, we do not add God to our little lives. God adds us to his great life. Now, that that difference in perspective uh, changes everything, changes everything. Think think about a river, uh, just a regular river, a powerful, gentle river headed somewhere. Uh, The kingdom of God is a river of the Holy Spirit a river of the Spirit of Christ flowing from the presence of God. And wherever that river goes, there is real life. You can read about that river in Ezekiel chapter 47 and also over in the 22nd chapter of Revelation. This is the present reality, here and now, in which our real lives are being lived out. And the way into this Surrender, or conscious correspondence with this present reality of God and his kingdom is by surrender. God has intervened in human history and is on the move. We're not going around in a circle. But to go where this river goes, you have got to get in the river and move into a depth where it is at least possible to pick up your feet so that you can be carried along by the flow of the river. In time, it's best to move into the deeper depths uh, where you can't touch bottom and would be foolish to try to control your circumstances, but where you can swim in cooperation with this river, this present reality of the kingdom of God, of God and his kingdom among us. That's the spiritual life. That's the spiritual life. Life derived from the presence of God. Now, this life, this spiritual life, this kingdom life can be nurtured in silence and solitude. Uh, And it's lived out as we move through all of life in what I've called, what Henry Nouwen actually has called, a posture of listening stillness before God. You see, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself is present and speaking. And by his presence and by his words, he would impart to us the life that is in him. Meant to be our light, right? Uh, Authentic discipleship to Jesus is to live in attentive receptivity to Jesus himself. To become as he is in spirit, mind, soul, and body, so that we actually do what Jesus says is best from the inside out. And without that, there really is no kingdom life. Just the awful burden of having to make things happen and all of the anxiety that inevitably comes with that. I mean, see, the truth is human powers alone. Are inadequate to human life. We were never meant to do this on our own. And the good news is we don't have to. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 10 and look at a familiar story that illustrates, I think, what I'm trying to talk about. This is uh, the familiar story of Jesus, uh, Martha, and Mary. You recall that uh, they lived in Bethany, their brother is Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. Now Jesus is with them, uh, Luke ten thirty-eight. Now as they went on their way, he, that is Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what Jesus was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part. Which will not be taken from her. Now, I'm sure everybody in this room has heard that text preached and taught in Sunday school many, many times. And frankly, from my point of view, the meaning, the teaching here is often twisted almost beyond recognition. Because what Jesus is really saying here is that there is one indispensable practice, uh, and that is to live in attentiveness to Him. You know, our perhaps even well-intended efforts to make everything just right uh, by means of the energy of our own flesh does nothing more than distract us from that one indispensable thing. And it just produces a lot of anxiety. Uh, And yet, like dear Martha, many of us are spread too thin, uh, burdened by the anxieties of life on our own. Now look. There's plenty for us to do. There will be plenty for us to do it. The the teaching here is not that we don't do anything. It's really a teaching about what do we do and by what means do we do it. Are we out here doing all these things that we think need to be done on our own? Or are we, uh, through the presence and word of Jesus, understanding how God is moving where we are so that we get involved there? There's plenty to do. This is not a passive life. Uh, but the means to what and how we should do what we do and remember the kingdom is everywhere it's at work, it involves what you do for a living uh, it's a matter of how we do and what we do and how we do it but like I say, many of us uh, at least if you're like me oftentimes uh, you know, find myself just burdened with the anxieties of trying to do what I'm doing in my own strength and, you know, if that's you uh, then I want to tell you there is another way And that's what we want to talk about today, Uh, cultivating a posture of listening stillness before God. So, what can we do? First, the practice of the spiritual disciplines of solitude and silence can help. Now, that term, spiritual discipline, has become pretty popular in recent days. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. Think devotional practice, if that's a little more user-friendly for you, I find it is. For most people but a, a spiritual discipline is nothing more than something that is in our power to do that we do in order to become able by god's grace to do what we cannot do merely by trying really hard you know if i want to move from where i am so that i move all the way all through life in the sabbath rest of god listening to him following him in everything i do i'm not going to get there by going out the door this morning and trying real hard to do that i need to train I need to train. See, doing that would make no more sense than reading all the books about a marathon and showing up on race day intending to run without doing the training. See, so these are ways that we exercise ourselves unto godliness, present ourselves before God and receive uh, grace for uh, the grace that we need. Uh, Now, you know, these disciplines are drawn from the life of Jesus. Jesus was not a monk, but he spent a lot of time alone. Uh, and they are a means of God's grace. Uh, disciplines like solitude and silence just break us free from things that otherwise, as in the case of Martha, simply uh, uh, distract and deflect us from living in attentiveness to Jesus uh, in the kingdom. Now, through the practice of solitude and silence, we uh, may receive as God's uh, gift. Uh, stillness of spirit and mind and soul and body that enables us to live in attentive receptivity to Jesus throughout in all of the, our days, all of, all, of the, all of our life, every, every minute. Uh, because, you know, through this we put off our striving, uh, we learn to rest in God who is our refuge. Uh, every time I've gone to a prayer retreat at the Cynical, I've had to fight the thought. That all will be lost if I don't go to the office today. And you know what i found? <laughs> all is not lost. Uh, you know, God is my strength and, and somehow things just are okay. Uh, we learn to wait patiently on the Lord, to live all of life, even in just the clatter of ordinary life in a listening stillness before God as we practice Solitude and silence. We, we cultivate a deep listening stillness before God. Uh, so that as we move through all of life, we hear that voice that Isaiah spoke of in chapter 30. Uh, the, vo- the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, it's pretty simple. Solitude, we arrange to be alone and go there. Maybe you need to get up a little bit early. That's what works for me around my house. Or stay up a little late. I can't do that. I'm a morning person. Uh, or just stay home from work on a, a one day. Take a day off. Take a vacation day. And, of course, uh, plan a retreat or go on a, a, a prayer retreat. Those are available around town and sometimes at Tallywood. Uh, so we, we arrange to be alone and we go there. We abstain from, from interaction with other human beings for a period of time. That includes the telephone, the cell phone, the television, the radio, the stereo, the tape player, the books, the magazines, and everything else. Silence. We just close ourselves off from all sounds except the normal sounds of the earth. It's really hard to get in a place that's silent these days, but we try to approximate that. And we do not speak. But this is... uh, this is a listening silence in which God may speak uh, and we we practice silence as an act of listening to God solitude and silence go together really uh, solitude uh, silence makes solitude a reality and we practice them together now there is a, a prayer technique uh, that I want to describe to you that for me has been a way kind of put silence and solitude and listening prayer together and you know you can do them however you want to but i'm just saying this is the way it's worked for me and it it brings me back to the rest of the story concerning uh little herman you remember uh from last week that uh, in the fifth century a young man named john cassian and his traveling companion little herman went into the desert uh, egyptian desert in search of the desert uh, fathers and mothers and a word on the spiritual life and they found uh, Abba Isaac who spoke to them uh, about uh, a life lived in intimate interaction, fellowship with God and they were elated and they floated back to their place of rest for that night but in the morning, uh, reality had reasserted itself Uh, they were back on planet earth and little Herman turned to his friend and said yes, but how do you do it? And so they went back to Isaac, and he taught them. Uh, uh, he taught them uh, what he had been taught by another one of the Desert Fathers, uh, a, a practice, a prayer practice that has uh, been passed down. It was written down and has been passed down through two millennia in the Church. Uh, some of you may heard uh, may have heard of the book, The Cloud of the Unknowing. That is. A medieval uh, notes from a, some, an, an anonymous uh, person, a teaching based on what had originated here in the story that I'm telling you. Today, uh, this practice is uh, re emerging and it's called centering prayer. And here's the idea it is that in prayer, uh, there are just certain uh, aspects of prayer that we cannot attain by the exertion of our own spiritual powers of mind and will. They come to us as a gift of God. And so, what we do is we position ourselves before God in silence as an act of love and worship to receive whatever He would give us by His grace. Uh, so, how do you do it? Well, it's pretty simple. You sit, you know, relaxed in a quiet place, uh, select a word or a, scr- a short scripture or even a sentence prayer that expresses your yearning for God, your love for him, your intention to be with him and to surrender yourself to him, you know. Uh, One of the prayers that I like is, Oh, Lord, do with me whatever you will, whenever you will. Uh, And we offer ourselves to God in that way and sit in silence before him, attentive to whatever God may choose, uh, however, he may choose to fellowship with us. Uh, you know, if, or I probably should say when, our minds wander. Uh, that's where that prayer word or or short sentence prayer or scripture comes in. We just use that, uh, repeating that in prayer as a way of refocusing ourselves uh, on our intention to be in, in, attentive to God. Uh, when you sense the time uh, of this listening prayer is at an end, then uh, you know one way to conclude is to speak uh, the Lord's Prayer or some other uh, prayer as a way of concluding. Uh, some people set a timer. <coughs> My experience is that uh, in time, you know, you will know when the time is to conclude. Now, these are ancient Christian ways to cultivate a listening stillness before God. It's training. Our mind, our will, our soul, our body, by the grace of God, to be able to move through all of life in this posture of listening stillness. let me talk about stillness a little bit. There are dimensions of stillness, physical stillness first for some people that 's really difficult uh, so what do we well we you know we we uh, find a comfortable place to sit, some people like a you know a comfortable chair. That puts other people to sleep. So some people use a straight-back chair. That seemed Daniel Vestal, who was the first person I heard this from, used a straight-back chair. Feet on the floor, but be comfortable. Uh, It helps some people just to focus on their breathing for a minute or so just to become still. You know, we can breathe out the anxiety, and as we breathe in, we just receive God's Sabbath rest. Another way to get your body involved is that when you are ready, uh, to present yourself to God, to offer yourself to God, as Romans chapter six says, we should do. You can just just turn your palms up like this. That is an ancient uh, way of saying to God, uh, "Here I am, here you are. Uh, I want to be attentive to you and receive from you whatever you have for me." Mental stillness, that's kind of the toughest part because for most of us when we try to get still, Our minds are like a tree full of monkeys, basically. And uh, that's where using this prayer word or scripture or sentence prayer is helpful because as our mind inevitably wanders, we can use that to bring us back uh, uh, to uh, presence before God uh, and expressing our intention to be with him. Uh, If persistent thoughts intrude simply give them to God and move beyond all of that emotional stillness is another dimension of stillness uh, our feelings are real and they are valid uh, let me say to you that they are wonderful servants and terrible masters uh, acknowledge to God what you're feeling give them to God and move beyond your feelings and then finally stillness of will uh, many of us are very earnest we're serious about this and so as we get still, you know, resolutions and decisions uh, come up. You know, the ought to's and the I can's and the I will's and I sh- and the I'm supposed to's all come up to into our mind. Uh, those are all good, but this is not the time for that. So just give them to God. Ask him to give them back to you as appropriate and move beyond all of that. Uh, and then finally, in order to become still, as appropriate, confess your sins and ask God for forgiveness. Uh, as we practice solitude and silence and centering prayer, and God begins to make His presence known to you, uh, respond and however God is leading. See. Remember the spiritual life. We've been added to God's life. Uh, the idea is not to get God to to make the, the life we want for ourselves go, but rather to join Him. And so we commune with God. You know, that's just being present to God who is present. I mean, I'm sure many of you either play golf or hunt or fish or something. And just think about the experience of being out on a beautiful morning at daylight. You know, you don't analyze it. You're just present in it, right? See, that's the idea of communing with God as he makes his presence known. If God speaks to you through your thoughts, listen and reflect and respond and just rest in whatever it is he's saying to you. God may give you a picture. God communicates with some people. I know plenty of people like this uh, visually in their mind's eye. If God gives you a picture, well, just ponder it in your heart. Uh, You know, as we consider actually doing this, you know, we have many, many questions. Uh, What do I take with me into silence and solitude? Nothing. What do I do? Nothing. Do I pray? Well, listen for God and follow his lead. You may end up in prayer. You may even end up in study, but don't start there. This is very important. Do I try to empty my mind? No. That's Eastern Transcendental Meditation. That has nothing to do with this. The idea is that we uh, are still before God and allow God to fill up our mind with himself and with his ways. Uh, What if nothing happens? That's okay. Uh, God works. In uh, in very significant ways that are be, be beyond our conscious awareness, and uh, uh, it's like a tree. I'm told that a tree in winter time, when there's nothing going on on the surface, looks like nothing's happening. That that's when a tree puts down deep, deep roots. So if nothing seems to happen, don't worry about it. Uh, God knows, and God is in charge. Uh, solitude can be very difficult in the beginning, Uh, in solitude, we're becoming free from patterns of thought and feeling and action that frankly, we've learned from a world that is set apart and set against God, you know, all of the manifestations of I must take charge, I must be in control, I must make my life happen or all is lost. And spiritual life is that we live and surrender to what God is doing. Remember that. Uh, but all of those things are really means by which we are seeking to save ourselves. And so in solitude we have to cling to Jesus until we can turn loose of these idols. Just open your hand and turn loose of all of those things you try to do to save your own life. Uh, stillness strips us, silence, I'm sorry, silence strips us like nothing else because our words are what we use to control our circumstances, including other people and to make ourselves significant. And so when we're not talking, well, that's pretty, pretty tough on us. Uh, in silence, we're just left with God and us. You know, here I am, Lord, and here you are. Now what? Uh, some practical suggestions. First of all, decide to do this. Decide to do this. Uh, you don't have to, so you know. decide whether you're going to. Uh, establish a routine. That's a time and a place. Uh, begin and continue. Uh, get your body involved. Get your body involved. That's the idea of a posture of of attentiveness uh, using your breath to still yourself physically this palms up practice is one that helps me because it gets my whole you know uh, we sort of turn christianity into a head trip but it involves all of our being it involves our body uh use you know this this technique of centering prayer where we use a word or a scripture to refocus as our mind wanders is helpful it's been helpful to me uh and remember, this is just a way that we say to the Lord, "I learn, I, I yearn for the shelter of Your presence. I I want to be with You, focused on You." Uh, journaling for some people is is helpful to write down what they think they've experienced. That that's helpful for some folks. Uh, this is another one that I think is important. Learn to distinguish the voice of God from all those other voices rattling around in your head. Uh, the voice of God draws and encourages. That voice that condemns and pushes is not God. It's probably you. Just remember there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, among a lot of other things, means we shouldn't condemn ourselves. But, uh, And I guess, uh, well, start small. Don't be a hero. I've got some suggestions in just a moment. Uh, And it's a good idea to warn your family so they won't think you're mad at them, Uh, especially your wife, if you have one. Okay, what are some of the exercises that I would uh, uh, suggest that you uh, give a try, try out this week? Well, just... Uh, practice sol- uh, solitude and silence for five to twenty minutes once or twice a day. Just get by yourself and sit still and quietly for no more than five minutes, if that's all you can stand. Begin to train yourself to s- to slow down. Uh, here's a really uh, easy way to do it. Just as you just turn the radio and the CD player and the cell phone off in the car while you're driving around town from to and from work this week. Uh, there are other ways to take advantage of the practical day-to-day opportunities uh, to practice silence and solitude. Uh, uh, you know, as you move from task to task at work, just ha- let that be a signal that you're just going to slow down for an instant and... and. Uh, be attentive to Jesus. Or maybe just as you're going back and forth to the coffee pot, just walk a little slower and, and, uh, and be attentive to Jesus uh, himself. Uh, speak, Lord, your servant is listening as you walk back and forth to the coffee pot. These are all ways to enter into this, these disciplines that will help us cultivate uh, a listening uh, stillness before God uh, practice centering prayer for five to twenty minutes a day, or you can, as I've suggested, put silence, solitude, and centering prayer all together. Uh, another way to do it is to go through an entire day, uh, remaining as silent as you can possibly be. Things like refrain from stepping in to you make things everything, make sure everything turns out right, or avoid having the, and avoid having the last word. Uh, don't try to manipulate others uh, verbally to control them. Avoid justifying yourself. Let God be your vindication, uh, and just move with an inner attentiveness to God, and watch and wait for God to act. This is another way to practice uh, uh, this uh, stillness before the Lord, so that we can train and 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 develop in such a way by God's grace that that becomes a natural part of who we are. Uh, I think this is reprinted in your materials. I want to conclude with a prayer that is attributed to St. Patrick. It's called the Breastplate of St. Patrick. Uh, St. Patrick evangelized the Irish at a time when it was a dangerous thing to go and get started on all of that. And this is the armor that he wore as he entered that uh, battle. Uh, And it expresses how we can move uh, through all of life in a uh, listening stillness before God in the shelter of his presence. And I'll just read this and then I'm I'm, uh, finished. The Breastplate of St. Patrick. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. So the question for us is whether that's real. And is that a reality that we are prepared to receive uh, and move in uh, in all of our life? So I encourage you this week, give this a try and see what you think. I believe if you've never done this, I believe you'll be surprised. Jim. Jim.